of Michael L. Craver Presents. Guys, I'm sitting around. I've got a whole series planned on suspending uh, disbelief, but uh, I suspended it. I, <laughs> I, was, I was listening to some music to prepare for the show. I'm always a man of ideas. You listen to the series for a, a little while here. You are very well aware that I tend to um, soit ballin', as my as my boys call it. And we were in a discussion in the past, and we said we were spitballing or brainstorming, right? And they kept misspelling it on the keyboard, S-O-I-T, balling, soit balling. Anyhow, um, I get ready for the show and try to get into a, in a mindset, just like you, you might for anything else, some mood music or something. The connotation behind mood music for a lot of people is yoga and elevator music and just whatever happened to be in front of me, I've been making several different playlists that I have for work, are 20, 40, 80, several hundred hours long of rock and roll, of movie scores, of things. And where I've been adding to those, I happen to have been on the Kid Rock folder. So the, the entrance to this show being Lonely Road of Faith, which is very significant to old wrestling fans. In 2001, they, they adopted that song and played it before all the shows and, and made some very, very um, breathtaking kind of heritage videos out of it. And um, the Kid Rock song that, that inspired me to, to break away from what I was doing, I was clicking in, in the history of rock and roll album. Um, I guess it's History of Rock uh, album. The American Badass song is on there, and people love that, right? That's what they know it for. Or they know the quote that's at the very end of the album. My Oedipus Complex has a long break after the last track. And there's a young man who narrates it and says, you know, if it's marketed right, you know, you'll buy it and so forth. Uh, So people know the quotes, and they know the... The American Badass, especially for if you're a wrestling fan, Undertaker fan, or, or otherwise. Prodigal Son is something that I had cut up from that album for an entrance song. I can't for the life of me remember that it got used. But I started, hey, wait a minute, Prodigal Son, here I am in the middle of, you know, reestablishing myself. I've got a, a great new career, I'm got the podcast um really you know well respected at least more so respected than i've ever been uh by friends families strangers like you listening to me and so i thought of the i said let's look up the prodigal son story right it's biblical right and so I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll just read to you it's luke 15 11 through 32 and this here's the the context that most people associate with it. It's not long-winded, but if you're not into the passages from the Council of Nicaea and Pope Constantine, then you know, bear with me. These are their words, and this is how the story goes. The parable of the lost son begins at Luke 15, chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me never even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So there are the verses um, from whatever translation of the, the Bible that is that tell the story. I think this is true, or at least it's applicable as a metaphor, uh, in many, many, many instances. And I had written down a few of those, like um, if you... You know, you really like a job that you're with, but you take an alluring offer, you go somewhere else. You're you're going somewhere else. You're giving away your loyalty. You're you know maybe giving up your benefits and so forth to go take some other path. Maybe to you know go back to school or go home and be a housewife or whatever it might be. There's so many so many reasons. However, when you come back to work, especially if you go from one job to take another offer, and then they sort of lure you back in. Like my Al Pacino humor, right? The Al Pacino on fatherhood. Uh, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. So you are at company A. You've built up this on your resume. And now you're going to go take adventure B. 
wait a minute, there's a leadership position over at company A, a sales position, a promotion, something with more money. What are they going to do to get you to come back? They're going to give you more money, more benefits, something preferential to try to lure you back in. You would not have been able to get those had you not left the company and had any kind of outside experience or leverage. So if you are a person who, let's say, for instance, you're a young lady, a young man. You have a relationship with your solid partner, but you don't have any social conversations with any other people outside of that relationship, men, women, children, whatever, or at least they're limited. You know uh, why I do that? It's out of respect for the relationship. Really? Is that what it is? So if you are at a college and you're in your major and you go over to the major's department, history, English, and they tell you, you know what? We don't want you taking any of those economics classes. We don't want you taking any art classes. We don't want you taking auto mechanics or any other. Oh, no, 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 no. You stick only to your field, only to your major, and do not deviate from that course. Don't be doing anything to diversify any of your learning, any of your experiences, any of your skill sets outside of your major. Wait, what? Okay. That, that sounds good to me. And the church is notorious for this kind of thing, right? They've got their rules. They've got their 10 rules for life. And Jordan Peterson's got his 12, right? You know, don't you know, cover thy neighbor's goods and murder and steal and kill and no false gods for me and all that stuff, right? Well, suppose you go do something outside of the church and then you come back. They celebrate you. They came back. You know, baptize you. There's be videos and food and feast and people are going to put it on social media and like it and you know you'll be right right strange like that isn't it people who make the comeback tour they break up they come back together you give them a ton of money guns and roses you know one of my favorites and it came back not in this lifetime tour because they weren't ever going to get back together but it is what it is so those things are, are interesting, right? They're a little less magical or, let's say, less respected uh, because those are more uh, geared towards fanfare and money and fame. Whereas you have a son, a daughter, a neighbor, someone in your community goes off. They were in 9-11. They were just in the National Guard. Uh, and then we activated them and sent them over to Afghanistan, or Iraq. And then when they come home, we celebrate them, right? Now, that's not necessarily anybody who squandered anything. It could be. could be they could have gone to college, could have done anything. They just decided, I'm going to join the military. I'm getting out of here. And then when they come back, you're happy to have them home, right? And they've been through the things that they've done for God and country. That's the, the saying, right? Maybe they did it because they just wanted to educational benefits that come from being in the, the armed services. Never know, right? But that's the kind of likeness to the metaphor. You have people who've gone on a journey, they come back. They leave a career or leave a company, and then they come back to be in leadership, to be in a more prominent, more rewarding position. I don't know that anything's wrong with that. Now, in the story from Luke, this son did not leave knowing in his master plan he was going to come back and be accepted and he's going to have these things. That was unexpected. 
he thought he was going to come back to, you know, start at the bottom again. And what a surprise. Now we've kind of twisted that in our modern times. I talked about the book by Chris Ross. Um, you know, folks can use this as a strategy. You know, my supervisor has recommended to me in the past, uh, one of my bosses, you know, who said, you know, sometimes instead of going straight up the corporate ladder, sometimes instead of looking for the next position and then the third one and the fourth one, you need to zig and zag. You need to go outside and then come back kind of thing. I said, okay. I don't think that's bad advice for anybody. I'm not telling you that you should go squander every blessing that you have, like the story, because that seems ridiculous. If you go out and live it up in Vegas on your bachelor party and then come back and you expect that the wedding is going to be a celebration of your infidelity and everything else, uh, that might be a little far-fetched. If you have a relationship that is, you know, you, the the cats, the dogs, the kids, the wife, and um, you're you're gambling the money away or you're spending your time on, you know, reckless things... Don't know that they're going to welcome you back with a big celebration. For one, you're destroying the resources that you used to celebrate with. And uh, secondly, mostly people are just going to fall into the mindset of not being able to trust you, or they're going to look at you as being inconsistent from then on. So that's something else that really needs to be addressed in these situations. You're more than welcome to make choices. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to ask the wrong questions. You're, oh, the temptation. You know, I was hungry and I stole a sandwich. I was in need when I was in school, and so I worked this job, and then I didn't pay the taxes. I got paid in cash, and I didn't file it on my 1099 or didn't have a W-2 or whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's things like that, right? You may think of it in terms of, you know, I grew up in a place and I had to do this thing to stay in the relationship. I had to sleep with this guy. I had to sell drugs to be able to do this. Maybe you just didn't like that you had an abusive boss or someone who had unethical practices, whether it be that they were abusive in terms of language, ethnicity, whatever it might be. And you stayed there because you needed... You know, you needed that, and that was the sacrifice that you made to get to something else. I don't know that the inverse of this story is not true for that, right? You suffered in place and got to somewhere better. As opposed to going out and being reckless, you were in a bad situation and stayed there, and your reward perhaps is on the other side. There is a... I think there's an A and a B version of how you can take the the parable of the lost son, as this is called, or the prodigal son, as it's called, and apply it. You could go out and leave and be reckless and come back and, you know, and be humble, right? The other being that you could be in place and be steadfast and, and sacrificing and, you know, at your last wit's end. <laughs> and on the other side of you staying in place is the reward. The suffering to the reward being the common theme. doesn't matter where it happens. You could be the wife who's staying home, the soldier's away, he's sacrificing. You're staying at home with the kids, husbandless uncertainty, you know. 
and the reward comes perhaps to both of you in its two different ways. You get your, your husband back, he gets his home life back. You know, that, that there's an example that I think you could relate to. So it's interesting in many ways, um, the prodigal son idea. I mean, I, I think that my, for myself, I've had plenty of opportunities where people have taken a chance to, to talk to me, to try to make advances with me. I've had literally hundreds of different things over the last 15 years where a job has sent me out. I just went through LinkedIn not terribly long ago and looked at how many dozens and dozens of restaurants over the last couple of years where I was working in restaurants had sent me, hey, we'd like for you to come out and interview, and what about this time? And you know, and I just didn't even pay any attention. Now, that's not necessarily depleting my resources, but it, you might be burning some bridges if they know who you are and you don't respond back to them. If you treat it like, you know, there's, well, there's always going to be another one, that's the unhealthy part of this. That might be the unhealthy thing that you're doing to yourself, to your community, to the people around you. Oh, forget this guy. There'll be more. I think I've played that clip before from Moonlight Graham in Field of Dreams. I knew they sent me back down. I couldn't bear the thought of another year in the miners. So I, I decided to hang him up. Oh, sit down. Thank you. So what was that like? It was like having this close to your dreams. And I watched them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. At the time, you don't think much of it. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. Oh, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that was the only day. It's interesting when people start taking apart, you know, the opportunities of their life and go, man, I really could have, what if I'd have done this? Obviously, you'd be on a different path. You know, if you watch the, this is illustrated in any number of movies, maybe Back to the Future being the most prominent, where, you know, you make one decision here and it alters the entire course of history. Okay. What if we had elected Al Gore instead of George Bush in 2000? Hmm, what if he hadn't given up when the Supreme Court decided whatever it might have decided about the popular vote and these things? Hmm, maybe we don't go into Iraq or Afghanistan. Maybe we start talking about green energy back then. Maybe the housing crisis doesn't happen in 08. Because Enron and Arthur Anderson and Halliburton, who were in the pockets of the George Bush and Dick Cheney administration, were able to negotiate a lot of things. As <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if you want to call them war profiteers or war hawks or whatever. But you go to war and you do money in the oil industry, great. What did those guys do when they left office? Back to working at those jobs, right? So... Yeah, it would have drastically changed everything. You know, Obama wouldn't be coming around uniting the history, um, making, you know, sort of unitary. He's the Democrat who's coming back to save the day from the Republican, right? Because you don't have a disorganized country underneath this other utopia that I'm building underneath of old uh, and inconvenient President uh, Al Gore. 
No matter what happened in 2020, it's a brand new year. And with HelloFresh, it's 365 days to start fresh, to make some new memories that just might turn into traditions. 365 ways to make time for yourself, to make time for the kiddos, to make a mess, or make believe. <laughs> to make it up as you go along and make it your own. To make their new all-time favorite meal. Whatever this new year brings. Hi, Mom. Hey, Pam. We'll help What's you turn your, your to-dos into to-dos. Pork and pineapple tacos. Oh, that sounds good. Just take it step by step and we'll make it one dish at a time. But the idea of the, the prodigal son thing, I mean, maybe that applies to Al Gore, right? He goes and he's vice president for eight years under Clinton. He loses. And his penance is that he comes back and he's talking to you about climate change. Now, if you don't believe in any of that stuff, I mean, that's fine. You figure out why it's raining in places it didn't rain before. You figure out why communicable diseases are what they are. They are what they are because the temperature is higher and things spread. Part of it's population, but population is going to adversely affect everything. There's, there's more people. There's more shit in the water. There's more stuff in the air. There's more waste that's not going anywhere. And so the planet is an uglier, unhealthier thing. And the more that you throw in the closet, the less room there is. And the less clean room there is. And the more it's going to stink. And the more there is to clean up. And then you get to a point where you have to condemn the house. Or in this case, the planet. Now if you don't believe any of what Al Gore said, that's fine too. You figure out why it's 70 degrees in December. Um... <laughs> I don't believe in climate change. Is that right? What do you think about them people down in Texas with the goddamn power outage? <laughs> Can't believe Florida's underwater. Just a coincidence. Look, it's <laughs> it is what it is, people. Uh, I think the story of the prodigal son that I ran across by accident is a very interesting thing. It applies to me. I'm being selfish uh, with this episode because the suspending disbelief that I put together, I like. And I'm hoping that I do it justice once I'm done uh, getting around to all these points. And this it's going to be a series of episodes. So I'm going to work up to that. Memorial Day being what it is, today, prodigal son thought of. It's a very adverse topic on Memorial Day. Those are people who didn't come home. Memorial Day is all about people who died in service. They didn't get to be the prodigal son in their, you know, their casket, maybe. But, um, you know, an, an unscrupulous end. Now, don't get me wrong, my grandfather didn't die in, uh, in combat or anything like that. So uh, I, I actually will go leave flowers on his grave because I'd like an excuse to do it. So... Uh, for Memorial Day, um, a lot of my father goes out, and I talked about this in the last episode, goes out and puts flags on all the graves with the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, you know, every sworn service member's um, headstone. Well, Memorial Day is technically only people who died <laughs> while serving. 
But why limited to that? You know, Michael, you're the guy that says definitions are important, holding standards and all that crap. Yes, I am. <laughs> the old Budweiser commercial. I don't know if you guys have, have seen the one as, as a kid who um, he is imitating Coach K from Duke. And um, I think the limo driver, I could try to put a clip in here of this. I, if I find it, I will. Hi, uh, any of you guys going to March Madness? He is. Then I'm Mr. Krzyzewski. Coach Krzyzewski? Yes, I am. Yeah. I drive a doctor who looks just like him. So cool. Keep going. Hey, Billy Packer. Hey, do you do you have Prince Albert in a can? Hi, uh, Grand Hill, please. Tell him this is his coach. Is this Jason Kidd? Jason, baby. Hey, forget about the pros. Why don't you transfer over to Duke? Hi. Yeah. Uh, I'm calling for Big Dog. Uh, I'd like to leave a 5 a.m. No, 4 a.m. wake up call. Yeah. No, it, it, it's okay. First time in a limo. Coach? First time without my good pal Bobby Knight. Think you're going to the Final Four this year, Coach? Hey, aren't you Coach Krzyzewski? You mean Krzyzewski? Yes, I am. <laughs> so the limo drivers, you know. He's got that sign, and it's got Coach K. It's Shashevsky, but it's Polish, and it's spelled Krasuski or whatever. You know. I'm Mr. Krasuski. <laughs> You're Mr. Krasuski? Yes, I am. <laughs> so whenever I hear yes, I am, or think of it, it goes back to the uh, the, the mid-'90s, uh, the, the commercial. But look, I, I think that it's important for all of us to have uh, and appreciation for what people have been through, if it's for conversational purposes or otherwise. And I'm not telling you to use this to manipulate people, right? There's, there's people who prey on older folks because they've lived a life of however many years to get to that age. And they go and they knock on their door and, Hey, uh, I represent XYZ Roofing Company. It looks like your roof uh, could use some work. Let me tell you all about it. You know, and you try to find the guy who doesn't know, or he's just happy to write a check, and then he gives you the down payment with air quotes, and you disappear. And that's where, um, you know, ugly scams and things come into place. People try to, try to take advantage of people who have a loved one who's going through anything like that. They try to take those situations where people are stressed. It's in these situations, resources are deplenished if not exhausted just like in navy seal training and other things like that you're looking at um things where people are under great stress duress otherwise and that's what you know that's the term when you sign a contract and you're not of stable you know mind or you've been coerced or whatever you signed it under duress and so i think those are important pieces of the puzzle for other 
people to consider, like look after people who are under these kinds of just immeasurable, really. I mean, you don't know what all it does to them, and the weight that's on their back is greater than you or I know. Who knows what they've already got built up inside. So don't take for granted when you see somebody who's just a little bit upset, they got a little chip on the shoulder at work. Oh, you're not happy here. You should go somewhere else. Right? And then they'll come back and be the prodigal son? Maybe. Maybe there's too many things going on and their suffering is happening right now. And for them to be rewarded in the way that they could be. Maybe there's a slight change, a different outcome, or a different solution for this story. Maybe they just need a friend to be a member of a community, to be accepted, to be included. That's what most of the people out marching and protesting are all about. They're looking at things as if you are not treating them fairly. Just treat, just look at it in terms of those words. They're, are they being reasonable? And are the people on the other side, is the totality of the circumstances fair? Now, I've made the example in the past. The guy comes from overseas. He's from Africa. And Mbuto, he's going to come in. He's going to drive a cab. He's going to do what he can to be diligent, working his way into acquiring the language, the skills, and perhaps becoming someone who is established in his community or at least who is very happy, has a wife and children, and that's the life he's looking for, the American dream. Not necessarily about wealth, but about stability and security. All right, so he came from somewhere else where he was behind the eight ball, so to speak. Maybe not the best ethical and ethnic comparison right because of the crack epidemic and stuff like that right you know cocaine and crack and so forth but in some ways there's levity in what i just said in other ways there's not so he he came from behind the eight ball except he wasn't behind the eight ball he didn't have the the same addiction or urban issues that other people perhaps have had but if you have someone <clears throat> let's take the other side of this Here's someone who comes from outside the border, has to go through the process, has to keep their nose clean in terms of not being deported, meeting all the, the visa, all the citizenship, okay, and then he wants to, to be the American dream. All right. Now here's the guy who was already in the country, like these, the son in the story, right? He stayed to his father the whole time. I was here the whole time. Okay. Well, what's ours is yours. Public education, social programs, all sorts of opportunities, scholarships, otherwise. You're a minority in many of the, in the example I'm making. Well, who are you picturing? You're picturing probably a minority. You should be. And so if that's true and you have these things to try to put those stakes in the ground and help that vine grow, what more can you ask? If the wild vine can thrive in the same soil next to the one who's propped up, how can you not have similar results? You have to be able to work around and with the people in your community. The opportunity is right in front of you. 
run down to a place and get a job. And then don't live beyond your means, right? If you're productive at a job, and I've always said this about applications, hey, he's, look here, old Rodney says he used to work at the Cracker Barrel. There's an all-American place. He worked at the Cracker Barrel. He's, they're not giving him enough hours. Oh, and so he's applying here. Well, let's, let's talk to old Rodney about his experiences. Well, let me tell you what I know about Rodney and his experiences. Companies that have good workers are dying to give them as many hours as possible. He either is not available or he's not performing. And if he's not available, he's not performing. So if he's coming over here to us, what is it you think we can give him that Cracker Barrel can't? More hours to produce less? Well, they hired like 75 people. Why would they hire those people if they've already got good help in your hands, Rodney? They wouldn't take good workers and compromise it and gamble it away for some stranger. I have a general contractor here, but I'm going to hire another one. Why? Is there more work to be done? Well, he's kind of dropping the ball. He's not here all the time. Right? And eventually you're going to phase him out, and he's going to go somewhere else. That's what's happening on Rodney over there. And that's, I mean, what's what's your story, right? You you go somewhere, you, are you doing a good job? Yeah, they give you hours. And generally speaking, as you get more and more things on your resume, and I'm not telling you to go job hopping, but if you work at, you know, a clothing store in retail, and then you go and work at a restaurant, and so you've got the mechanism experience of being in retail. Okay, cha-ching, cha-ching. And you go to a restaurant where you're face-to-face with people, and you have to handle adversity and problem-solve and, it's going to be all right. You guys doing okay tonight? You know, those are the things that are the basic social skills that are going to get you into other realms of life later with a muscle memory, with these recalls that are advantages. You may think those are dead-end jobs. Well, they're not designed, you know, I'm not making a living wage at McDonald's. You're not supposed to make a living wage. That is a job that is designed for an introductory into the workforce. It is not the end game to work for McDonald's at staff level. You want to be in leadership and make a salary, great. Rise up the ladder. There's so many stores, you know, if you excel, they're going to give you shift manager this and then assistant and then store and then there's, you know, Lord knows what they have in terms of corporate and marketing and otherwise. And once you have many of those things on your resume, and you can say, hey, I was a shift leader, and I was responsible for this many people, this much money, right? Now you can take that to another company that needs those skills. And you can turn the table, and here's what I'm willing to work for. And you guys will figure out in the long run whether you're worth that and whether you're willing to accept their offer. That's how it goes. In some ways, that's your prodigal son, right? You leave the house. You go do that. Now you're going to go negotiate into a better job. Now you come back home and you tell mom and dad or family, your brother or sister or sibling or spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, guess what they offered me? Guess what I'm doing? Somebody trusted me. Somebody made me an offer. Somebody's going to be my friend whether it's because it's financially, professionally, or otherwise. You've got a new network, a new friend. That guy who offered you that job, you probably, I don't know, maybe you don't consider him in, under the word friend. I, I, I would, you know, I would, you know, leave him in my Christmas card list. 
And that's where that story and the prodigal son idea goes. If you, you know, you're able to, would somebody be proud of you for what's going on? Okay, then you're a prodigal son. In a very blanket way. You go out, you win the game, you come back home. Oh, that's amazing. It doesn't have to be that you squandered wealth and fortune and everything else for this story to be applicable to you. It, it quite frankly, can happen at the end of the day. How was school today? Well, I won the science contest, Dad. Oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. Hmm. And, you know, the, the whole idea of recognition is in the very foundation of this story. And I used to be in charge of recognition for a, a very prominent company. And it was not like on you know, a global level. It was at, at, at you know, my location. But it sounds better that way, so let's just say it that way. I was in charge of recognition for this company. Oh, yeah? <laughs> like, and everything that goes with that statement? Well, not exactly. But it's interesting in that role to try to find different ways to enhance the life of the people around you at work. You're asking them to do a job and then recognizing them for doing their job. I was at a pizza place that I used to work. Uh, oh, five or six, this story would have happened. The district manager has showed up because the whatever other officer of the company's coming in. So we got the you know staffed store managers there, district managers there because this office person's coming to inspect the place from the home office. The oven looks good, and the district manager says, "Hey, how about a little round of applause? How about you know look how clean this oven is." I'll never forget this exchange. How about recognition? Come on. He says, what do you want? You want me to tell you something special for doing the bare minimum? The oven's supposed to be clean. Great job. <laughs> you know, it is, I just... It's not exceptional. It's, it's supposed to be clean. That's like saying I washed my hands before the shift or whatever else. But we don't usually do it. <laughs> is that right? You weren't meeting the minimum standards before. Is that what you're trying to tell me? This is why people don't like arguing with me or exchanging ideas with me. Because it, it, I, I base most of what I do from a procedural or a, you know, a standard of excellence ideology. And so... Somebody recently said to me, um, friendly conversation, and said, you know, so-and-so uh, probably wouldn't find such-and-such such conversation to be respectful. And I said, well, I want to be very clear. Like, uh, you know, when people are being social animals and then they're just saying hello, they don't have any vested interest in the outcome. They're not even trying to get anything from you. They're not trying to break up anything you're doing. That's when you are in the same crowd of shenanigans like a lot of the folks who run around marching. And they go, oh, institutional racism. 
And I said, well, if you can, as Ben Shapiro says, if you can find a law that is, you know, institutionally holding people back, depriving them of life, liberty, property, and otherwise, that's what racism is, we'll, we'll, we will address that. If you don't like that people don't like each other, that's freedom. You have the freedom to not like each other. I don't have to like Carolina Panthers fans or whatever it is. Since the issue of disparity has, has come up a number of times, when does disparity not indicate racism? Level of effort. St statistical disparity. You know, for example, overwhelmingly men commit crimes more than women, but we don't say that the Justice Department is, is sexist. So is there, is there a line that you draw for yourself, or is there some, some way that you interpret statistical disparity and you determine that that is not a racial disparity, it's something else? Well, we can return yeah. to it. That's okay to you. Ben, do you want to Yes. It's, it's called evidence of racism. When there is no evidence of racism, it's probably not racism. When there is actual evidence of racism, it's probably racism. And the fact that everybody jumps from there's inequality and therefore there is inequity, just because there's inequality does not mean there was inequity. But there has to be racism. You can't, be, can't say there's no racism. Without I mean, evidence? I mean, no, 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 no. I'm just saying that uh, I don't know which animal. Uh, maybe you, you, maybe, maybe we're talking about, about dogs racist. or something. I'm, I'm talking about human beings. And I'm like, m human beings are most likely going to have racial prejudices. I'm just so sorry. I, I, I'm just so sorry. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't come from a, I don't come, yeah, I, I, come, no, I, come from, I come from planet Charles, Earth. Charles, I, just, I want to ask you a question. So your default, your default is that when there is no evidence, racism is the deciding factor. That is no, 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 I was not saying that. I'm just saying that, uh, that you're going to have sexist, you're going to have racist, you're going to have all this stuff. I mean, I'm just saying that... I agree it exists, but the problem that I'm seeing, and, and this is the problem with the general conversation, is that there's no solution in simply saying there's racism out there. How does that solve anything? I mean, when, when you talk about there's institutional racism, what does that mean? Show me a law that is racist in intent, and we will agree. Show me a police officer who commits a racist act like we saw in South Carolina, right, where a police officer shot a black man running away and it was obviously unjustified, and I will agree. But you, the, the, the idea that you can craft a narrative based on no racism because it just must be somewhere out there in the ether, that doesn't solve problems for anybody and creates more problems for people because now they grow up in a, in a milieu and an environment where they are told that every obstacle they face is from some shadowy, nameless, faceless group who is out to get them simply because of the color of their skin. They'll never succeed in that environment. You know, that was always a stigma in comedy and otherwise, that if you go to New York, the people treat each other like shit, they treat outsiders like shit. Now, are you appropriating some kind of behavior? Are you labeling and basically boxing those people into some kind of very ugly... Uh, what would that be? That's not nationalism. Is it cityism or metropolitanism? <laughs> some kind of, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's interesting, isn't it? If nationalism is standing up for your nation and your ideals, that's nationalism. Then is racism when you stand up for your ideas and your race and so forth? Interesting, isn't it? That's the old George Carlin bit. Freedom fighters and firefighters. You know, the, you, if you don't know the deal, I'll, I'll put the clip here. Workforce, smug, greedy, well-fed white people have invented a language to conceal their sins. It's as simple as that. The CIA doesn't kill anybody anymore. They neutralize people. 
or they depopulate the area. The government doesn't lie, it engages in disinformation. The Pentagon actually measures nuclear radiation in something they call sunshine units. Israeli murderers are called commandos. Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? Right? Makes sense, right? It's, it's one of those things where it's, it's funky language. I know what people mean. You know what I mean. Yes, I am aware of what you are referring to. You're referring to the number seven when three plus four are added together. Oh, come on, three plus three is seven or whatever it is. Well, whatever that is is six. Now, if you're trying to get seven, you need to add three and four. Oh, okay, so you know what I mean. I actually didn't know what you mean because you didn't have the right ingredients to make that recipe work out. You've, you know, it's not hitting my palate right because you didn't perform it right. You know, it's, it's one of those things where if you're going to be a wizard and you want to go out there and, and work some magic, then you got to get the spell right. How many times have you seen the movie? Somebody says the thing, Charmed or whatever the TV show you might watch, you've probably got something in mind. And something wrong happens, and it turns the guy into a frog. What's the movie, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Right. Got the calculations wrong? Turned his kids into midgets. Well, not necessarily midgets, but you get the idea. It's very prominent in the world to look around and say, I understand where somebody is coming from. However misguided their message or incoherent <laughs> their mission statement might be. And that's fine. That's fine. Do you think that they're squandering a gift by having the ability to go out, do some research, put together a package, a presentation, language, and then go out and, and throw their hands up high with a flag, a banner, a you know, people in German used to get really tired of waving to each other all the time because of these ideas that they have about the way it should be or the way it could be. I think Anthony said to me recently, he said, um, Hitler is the greatest speaker, the greatest public speaker of all time. <laughs> I said, I, number one, people are just not going to agree with that. Even if you wanted to say it based on merit of what it quote me something from Hitler oh he's not quotable he doesn't translate into our time he had a short run as chancellor and as a as a war hawk and then he you know him and him, him and Ava Braun uh, it, with whatever theory you believe they killed themselves they died in a bunker or they lived ended up in Argentina Hitler's message does not resonate you know, throughout the ages kind of thing. Now, he said who's the greatest public speaker of all time is what he, that's the way the conversation started. And I said, Jordan Peterson. And he was, he was like, no, it's Hitler. Now, somebody else might argue that it's Jesus or somebody like that. Now, you'd have to, now we're going to have this philosophical difference of, there's a 60 guys in the Mesopotamian area who, share the story of what would be Jesus 
And uh, apparently he can't hit a curveball, according to Pedro Serrano. So I'm, I'm just, you know. Hey, pasta there, Pedro. Bats. The RC. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball. Bats are afraid. I asked Joe Boo to come. Take fear from bats. I offer him cigar in Rome. He will come. You know, you might think about taking Jesus Christ as your savior instead of fooling around with all this stuff. Shit, Harris. Ah. Jesus. I like him very much. But he no help with curveball. You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Okay, Harris, let's not start a holy war here. <laughs> One of these guys, it, history says this. Constantine and the Council of Nicaea, they say a different story. So we're going to take Jesus off the table. Who would be the greatest public speaker of all time? I, I think there's people who would say Winston Churchill, but it came out later that there was a guy from the BBC who was pur purported to do a lot of the speeches. It's the guy who did Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> And uh, Robin Williams has a great uh, section about this. And, uh, oh, I think it's Robin Williams live on Broadway or something like that, where he's talking about Churchill, Winnie the Pooh. And I also find out now that Winston Churchill, one of the greatest orators of all time, may have been so fucked up on cognac and champagne that he didn't do some of his great speeches. They were done by a man from the BBC who also did Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> we will fight them on the beaches, in the air, on the land. Eeyore and Tigger! <laughs> and he was fighting against Hitler, a man who recently a book declared was a homosexual, and I always thought this was a clue. <laughs> that and the leather and the dancing. I said Jordan Peterson because... I think his his legacy is yet to be finished, that's for sure. But his lessons and his work, you know, if if only, if only, you know, and if you don't, as I've said many times on this podcast about myself, if you don't understand it, it's really your problem. It's our problem, too, but it sounds better to say it's your problem. It sounds more egotistical or, you know, along those lines of pride and nationalism and, and i'm more competitive than you so it's, it's your problem it's kind of my problem too if you don't understand it. Uh, it you could argue it down to the way that it's presented and say i don't know how to put it into your layman's so that you could understand it but there's another part of that that goes right back to the example i made earlier where here is an immigrant who comes in and does very well for himself against the odds. And here's the guy who has all the advantages, who's lived in this country his whole life, and he screams that they're holding him back. Now let me ask you something. If one of those guys is an African-American, and the other guy is an actual African who's now got American citizenship, so he's a sworn citizen who is an African-American, and he is able to do this, but the other guy who already was in the system and had all these advantages was not able to complicate you know, his life by having education and wealth and so forth. Uh, he just he kept it simple. Now, I don't know if you see those people marching or not. I don't you know, have a roster. But 
but I don't know if you see people in both categories marching or not. But it's it's so strange to me to think that you have two people who fit the exact same demographics. One maybe even far worse off than the other. And the outcome at the end of it is tremendously different. Now, is that a prodigal son story? He leaves his homeland. Perhaps he's crossed the border. North, south, east, west. And he's come here to make a life for himself. And he sends money back. He gets established and he's going to bring his wife over. And now she's joining him. He has suffered to bring her to the country and for those folks, that family, to have their children and have a new life in the greatest country on earth. Is that prodigal son story? It is. It's not a prodigal son story if you start out, you know, here and you squander it and then you just are bitter for the rest of your life. And I unfortunately experienced that firsthand with somebody for, you know, a little while where you you set them up for success and then socially or otherwise they're just very bitter about the way they perceive the world. And while they may run around and make a few dollars and make a few strides, and I'm proud of the progress they make. I am. But if you socially are one of those people who's not going to be a friend and not going to network and you're not, we're not the same. Eh. I consider those people to be better. And um, they're missing, you know, that... It's that ingredient thing. They're missing one of those key ingredients to be, you know, someone who is trying to genuinely be the best person and the most humble person that they can be. If you have significant things happen in your life from outside forces and you are not humble about that and you don't have the social skills to communicate uh, being graceful or gracious, it's... I wouldn't want to live that existence. I don't know that I've never felt that way, but I've had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of things, and I feel like I'm utilizing more of my time now than I ever have. I don't. I've always said we're all a work in progress. Still doing it. <laughs> this podcast was. This specific episode is a work in progress. I'm just making it up as I go along now. But no, I, I'm, I'm speaking all to the same thing. But it became a theme of the prodigal son because I was just getting ready for my Suspend Disbelief series to begin today. And here we are, 48 minutes later. I haven't even begun. So... Look, I hope that you guys have all had a, a good Memorial Day. I hope you have your own story of some sort of prodigal son, humility-based elements around you, whether it's somebody that came back and it was a reward for the both of you, whether you have your own trials and tragedy and, and now you feel like you're the you know the best version of you that you could be after those struggles. That's what Hitler's book was all about, right? Mein Kampf, my struggle. He's no prodigal son. Let's be very clear about that. He, he 
He made some people a lot of prodigal sons. He's the cause of that. A lot of folks who ran off to war and otherwise and got to return home. America went from here to the greatest generation and you know industrialization in, in, to where we are now. I believe we would have done that anyway. You know, we didn't need to go fight a world war and lose you know a lot of good people to the to the Jewish faith and otherwise. Um, like 27 million Russians died during that time too. Let's you know if you if you're fixated on the numbers of the Holocaust, and you're you know champion the whole six million and so forth, I want you to go back and look at you know what happened to to people who uh, are Bolshevik and and Russian heritage as well, because that was an ugly war that was fought with a lot of scorched earth policies and things that people don't put in the forefront. Now you know, I think that. There's an interesting place that this podcast is going to go in the near future because I've got a couple of different series, one on on disbelief, uh, another one on ownership uh, that I'm working on. And uh, I hope that you guys enjoy the ride. Uh, It was suggested to me that I do some more adult-y, intimate kind of content. I think I will. Um, I had refrained from that out of the respect for the relationship that I was previously in. Uh, which goes against what I've said in this podcast because I specifically said you should be able to branch out and explore those things harmlessly with no adverse effects on the relationship. The person who's your partner should accept those things and trust you and you know they'll be on the, the journey with you. Some people are intolerant. Or what's that word I used? Bitter. I... Um, Hope wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, you're doing well. You take care. I'll see you on the flip side. And uh, things are only getting better from here. Glad to be back. Mm-hmm.